to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. Uh, my name is James Shergan. I am joined here by Inyaki and Lanero. How are you doing, Inyaki? Doing pretty well. How about you? Not too bad. Have you watched anything in- of interest uh, recently? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been watching some TV, uh, The Queen's Gambit, uh, and you know, I've been watching some strange Italian horrors. Uh, I don't know if they're horrors or mystery, but, uh, you know, I've been watching The Girl Who Knew Too Much on Blood and Black Laces. Yeah, so I've been watching a little Giallo, which are going to be the two films that we're covering today. Um, uh, of note that I've watched recently, I recently watched um, uh, the original Shirley Jackson uh, The Haunting, which was quite good. Um, uh, it was recently adapted um, into The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, too. Um, mm. But but uh, I actually quite prefer the original black and white film uh, in 1963. Uh, right. But anyways, let's, uh, let's dive in. Okay, so first, uh, this is a podcast where we sort of exchange films that we're choosing to watch. So I think inherently this is not going to be the deepest dive into like the uh, obscure Giallo classics. This is going to be more of like the, uh, the big hits. Um, so giallo uh, literally means the color yellow in Italian, um, but it also, uh, before the existence of the giallo subgenre, um, there were a bunch of different yellow paperbacks that were released um, in Italy, and these are basically kind of like thriller crime novels. Um, would, be, would this be similar to the pulp magazines that uh, existed in the U.S.? I don't think they'd be exactly the same, but I think they'd definitely be similar. So I think you're probably correct about that. Um, Generally speaking, uh, the Italians do seem to have a little bit of a broader definition of giallo um, uh, than Americans. But some of the key things are it needs to be some sort of mystery. It's usually not supernatural. um, And it's kind of like halfway in between a thriller and like a mystery, which would be sort of like an Agatha Christie, Edgar Wallace, uh, Conan Doyle um, sort of uh, deal. So uh, those are sort of the big uh, hits there. Um, I think it's especially known for being a really stylized genre. And I think a lot of that's due to some of these films that we watched today, but also due Mm -hmm. to Dario Argento, who we'll be watching some more films of. Very stylish director. Um, Aldi covered a couple of his films here on the Film to Film podcast. Um, there are also, uh, maybe a little different than Palizio Tescati, there's kind of like a Mount Rushmore of directors here. Um, so there's the big four, um, which would be uh, Mario Bava, uh, Dario Argento, uh, Sergio Martino, and Lucio Fulci. So there's sort of like these four directors, and, and people will usually watch the films by them first. Um, heavily influenced um, by film noir. Um, I think you can especially see that in the first film uh, that we watched, um, Hitchcock, mm-hmm. uh, who directed a film called, uh, well, he directed two films actually called The Man Who Knew Too Much, uh, which is uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much is pretty much direct riff on that. Um, and uh, a French film, Les Diabolique, which is kind of like a domestic horror thriller um, that was just really influential on the Giallo in the 60s. Um, uh, these films have way more of a following than Polizio Teschi, uh, which is of interest. Uh, I mean, when we did those Polizio Teschis, I did some research, tried to find other podcasts and stuff that focused on those films. There's just about nothing out there. So as much, as small and as tiny as we are, and we are a very small podcast, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
we might be the number one English language Politioteski podcast, which is uh, saying something there. Uh, whereas Ooh. with Jalo, um, you're able to find quite a few different podcasts, uh, including some that even go into some of the more obscure, deeper hits. So it's still a genre that has a lot of interest uh, amongst a lot of different uh, film watchers uh, today. Um, and uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, and we'll probably talk more about this as we sort of break down films individually, um, is that uh, it's also often seen as sort of a, a prototype for the slasher genre um, in America. Uh, I think probably the biggest difference is the settings tend to be very different. Um, American films uh, stereotypically have that sort of suburban or, um, or camp setting, uh, like Friday the 13th, uh, whereas the Jalos, most of them, but not all, uh, tend to be a very urban setting. So, uh, mm. and, and uh, American slashers also tend to have a slightly different demographic, a lot of teenagers in those films. So we'll talk about those um, as we get to them. John Carpenter was a pretty big fan of um, a couple of Dario Argento films. But they're similar to the slashers in, in the sense that some of these films can really be body count films and really focus on the form of killing uh, the, itself. Um, and I think we'll talk about that too as we get to those. Okay, so um, just a quick word on the director. So the two films we're talking about today, uh, Inyaki you mentioned, are The Girl Who Knew Too Much and Blood and Black Lace. Um, they were both directed by Mario Baba, who uh, also helped to do a lot of the design for Inferno. Um, he got his start as a cinematographer. His dad was also a cinematographer and his son is director, so his whole family is in the film business. Um, and he's very, very gifted at the technical aspects of these films. And I think probably the visual elements of both of these will stand out. Uh, sort of got his start in gothic horror, um, which are kind of like these horrors taking place in like these big, Euro very European castles. Um, they tend to be a little more monochromatic in how they look, black and white, um, or with more of a reduced color palette. Um, mm -hmm. And he cares um, a lot about visuals and staging. And whenever Dario Argento talks about Baba, who was a huge influence on him, he talks about him uh, and his choice of characters as being sort of um, very ironic. Um, he's a director that I do think is worth checking out. Uh, it, personally, for me, it does take a little bit to get into his films. Uh, it took me a few watches on some of them. Um, but I, uh, Shudder recently uh, put a bunch of his films on there, and I know there's a bunch on Canopy as well. So his films are definitely out there and accessible now, um, which has not always been the case. So I think that's great. Okay, so I think that's it for my uh, my monologue. Hopefully that wasn't too long, and hopefully it was somewhat informative. So uh, let's get into uh, the first film, uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Um, so uh, I'm going to try to not go too far over, so I'm going to try to keep this at 35 minutes. So uh, quick synopsis. An American tourist, uh, Letitia Roman, in Rome Witness... Uh, in Rome, witnesses a vicious murder, but no one believes her. Fearing she may be the next victim, she sets out to find the killer. All right, Inyaki, now's your chance to talk. Good synopsis? Accurate? Could you repeat it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. An American tourist in Rome witnesses a vicious murder, but no one believes her. Fearing that she may be the next victim, she sets out to find the killer. Yeah, that that's pretty accurate. I think... Okay. Uh... I mean, it hits all the main plot points. Yeah. Um, so this is often considered to be 
the first notable, um, while there were elements of Jalo at the time, uh, other films that had jolly elements at the time, this is usually the first film that people look at, the earliest film. Um, it wasn't very successful at the time, so really only looking back um, do we really see its uh, influences. Anyways, uh, what was how, how did you like this film? It was it was fun. It was it's it's a funny movie. It's a very funny movie. Um, it, it, totally speaking, uh, it, it's hard to tell whether or not uh, the director was going for. Uh, horror mystery or comedy and you know um there uh, you were talking about the influence of noir noir and uh, other type of influence but i mean like in this one definitely I, I felt that uh there was a huge influence from you know your classic universal monster movies or hmm. your classic universal horrors from the 40s uh there, there is this gothic feeling around it with a uh, high contrast. Even though it's black and white, but you got some high contrasts, uh, especially when in in the the first murder scene where she, you know, when she where she witnessed the murder, uh, you have the rain, you got the uh, uh, <clears throat> you got the lightning, um, and you have the, you know very very uh, the way that things were lit really created a I don't know it, it just reminded me a lot of a gothic that, that gothic element that you had in the in the uh, universal horror films in the past but then you you have the narrator that makes it kind of a weird thing that pops in once in a while while and then you have I don't know the music also makes it sort of comedic and at times uh it's it's a strange movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but uh, I, I I don't know how much. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels very. Uh, it feels very <clears throat> Hitchcock mm -hmm. in its style for sure. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right about just about all those elements. Um, I I think there's definitely. Um, I, th I think those universal horror films definitely had a pretty big influence on um, sort of the gothic horrors that followed. So I think that sort of line of lineage makes a lot of sense here. I think mm. for me, uh, technically speaking, I think there's a big difference in like sort of the daytime scenes and the nighttime scenes. Yeah. The nighttime scenes, they really do have that really gothic, like impressionistic lighting um, that reminds me both of... Um, gothic and universal horror, but also a film noir uh, where you have those like big contrasts and lights mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, for me, one of the scenes that I always remember is where she's going to sort of that empty apartment where there's like tape recorder going and you just sort of see those light bulbs swaying overhead. Um, so I, I, I always imagine that and sort of a lot of the scenes like in the finale where she's sort of walking into light. Um, uh -huh. I think it plays a lot with those things. And I think it's, uh, I mean, I think it has a really strong visual eye. I think you're also oh, right that. about sort of those mm -hmm. tonal uh, shifts. Um, I could definitely see that being a tricky thing to get into where you're sort of like wondering if it's like horror, mystery, or comedy. I, I kind of think it's all of those. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did, was that jarring for you? Do you think that's uh, like, did, did you find that, did make it, was that a barrier to sort of getting into this film? No, it's it's not. Although I must say, at the uh, for the very end of the movie, 
it, it did put me off a little bit. So, I mean, like, most of the movie I was enjoying it, but at the very end, I'm like, it could have gone without it. It could have gone with it. Like, it, it, it's really... And, and we'll get to, the, to that, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but one thing right. I, I do want to highlight about the, the, the empty apartment is that that actually... I think that, that that one scene of the empty apar apartment with the moving, headlight, uh, moving lights... Yeah. It's the only scene where actually everything is really well illuminated. Like the contrast in that in that in that building or that empty hallway is very low because you got everything is really well lit, but it does create this uh, weird uh, feeling of almost ghost or something fantastic going on, which the movie plays a little bit with it uh, in the plot in in a really silly way, like the sort of supernatural. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I think it's interesting. Um, a lot of these films do have that sort of like gaslighting um, as an element, and this film plays a little bit with it, um, mm -hmm. especially where the girl is. It's just like people just don't trust her that she actually saw a murder. Um, so I think it's interesting. Um, one of the other things that's interesting is this film definitely has sort of a meta element to it, um, right. which is fascinating because it came first. Um, the character Nora uh, is like really into these sorts of crime fiction. Um, mm -hmm. so even these, like probably these yellow paperback jello books, um, and it literally starts with her, um, like reading those on the plane and landing in Rome. So it's almost like a perfect way to sort of introduce the, the genre. Um, and it's interesting that it's so, uh, meta, but those elements are also used as part of like the gaslighting where the detectives sort of hint that she's reading too much, uh, things and, and they recommend that she stops doing that, um. What, what did you make of all that? Did you uh, pick up on the meta elements? And uh, yeah, what did you think of like, yeah, the gaslighting? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I sort of picked on... I mean, I, yes, it, it is a little bit meta. At the same time, it's it sort of... It, I mean, it, it sort of introduces itself to, to being one of those... Part of one of those books, right? Like, uh, I got I Agatha got, I got Christie on her books are generally speaking that you got a strong narrator I almost feel like it was mimicking one of those like classic uh, mystery books where you got a narration and then and the narrator is kind of telling you setting up the scene and that's kind of how it started right it's like oh she's flying and she loves mystery books she's read this 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 and this but this will be her greatest mystery it, it almost feels like it's introducing you to an almost in, in a very like book like manner into mystery i don't know if the if it's necessarily meta or if it's uh, if it was some, uh, something that they were actually trying to do just trying to make a mystery a mystery movie and like trying to mimic again you know like any of those murder novels that you had of, of that era well, I feel like part of it has to be intentional. I mean, they're making a murder mystery, and the character is reading about murder mysteries. Um, but it's, that's not not uncommon in murder mystery novels. Oh, sure, sure. But I mean, wouldn't those wouldn't that be considered a pretty meta element, in, even even in other ones? Sure. Or I mean, maybe yeah. Uh, I, I would I would consider it also like a, a feature. Uh, okay. Sure. Sure. Um, or I don't know. It, it just to me, to me, it sort of falls into the whole, like okay, this is kind of part of. 
I guess I'm, I, I used to read a lot of mystery books and novels when I was a little kid, and I was just like, oh, this is really common. And then I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're following the same trope. I've never seen a movie following a trope. Uh, that, that literary trope. Okay. Like, All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's talk a bit about um, the voiceover and stuff, too. I'm, I mm-hmm. feel like that definitely lends itself to creating sort of an older feel. Um, the black mm-hmm. and white certainly helps to that. Um, the voiceover in particular... I mean, you could say it sort of reminds you of film noir, but to me it reminds me a little bit more of, like, a lighter um, Alfred Hitchcock film than it does, like, um, uh, actual, like, more of, like, the jaded voiceover of, like, um, of like Bogart or something like that in a, in, in a noir. Um, it, I, I would agree. It's, yeah. it's been a while since I've, since I've watched the noir, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it feels more Hitchcock-esque in general, uh, and... Yeah, the voice acting or the dubbing definitely plays into that. One thing I must say, though, is the editing in this movie with the voice acting is weird and sometimes jarring. And I'm not sure. I mean, not in a negative way. I'm just saying, like, there's some weird cuts where you have her screaming and then cuts into something else. And you're like, okay. But it kind of, like, hits you on the face. And, And they play with that even through the dubbing, which is interesting yeah did you find the dubbing um more challenging in this film or or i mean we've watched a lot of italian films at this point this is i think the earliest italian film we've watched together though um for this podcast at least 1963 Mm. so it does predate the oldest film yeah like most of everything else we've watched is uh 70s or or 80s um so was this was this a little rougher in those aspects i would say it was a little bit rougher on the edges yeah yeah Mm -hmm. sure yeah um, I feel like one thing you can't really escape with this film um, is uh, sort of just talking about the technical aspects of it. And we talked a little bit about how the night scenes have a really distinctive look and the lighting. Uh, what else stood out for you as far as like cinematography or, or some of those technical aspects? Well, I mean, it, it really tried to show you like interesting parts of Rome. Uh, the, the takes... Very, like there were many takes where it tried to get as much as as possible of that piazza as well as uh the other places and and i mean in that sense i i enjoyed it part of me wondered like oh how would this look in color you know mm-hmm. uh because they they really tried to get the scenery yeah do, and, do you know if you this was, do you know if this was black and white as an artistic choice or was it black and white because of the era and budget well i mean it was 63 and blood and black lace is only a year later even though it has such a different feel um so i mean they certainly could have done it in color but uh so i don't know why they chose to do it in black and white i guess maybe part of it is just because of bava's background i think to that that date he mainly done films in black and white and it was well i mean it, it could have been so yeah it could have been budget too that's what I was asking because you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Night of, Night Night of the Living Dead is also from the sixties, yeah, and that one's black and white strictly because of budget. They they yeah. spend all the money on on the gore, so right. they didn't have have it on the camera and the film. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm not sure. I I haven't done quite enough research um, to sort of say why they chose to do it in black and white. I think it's really well wa- rendered in black and white though, and really right. well shot. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, clearly from the next film, Bava does know how to shoot films in color too. Oh yeah, um, 
so <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that later. But um, uh, I mean, he's his cinematography in both films, I think, looks great. But I mean, the fact that this is only one year before the film, the other film that we watched is almost shocking to see because the look of them is so different. And mm -hmm. yeah, uh, for me, I mean, stuff like the voiceover as well as the soundtrack, which I feel like has sort of an older style of musical cues and stuff. Uh, really contribute to make this feel like it's almost from like the 40s or the 50s um whereas blood and black lace could be like from the 80s or 70s right right yeah no, i mean definitely as i said before it, it almost feel, it feels a lot to me it reminds me a lot of the universal universal monster movies right right um well uh you talked a little bit about how it has shows some of the like the landmarks of rome and stuff and th that's kind of cool to see uh, i agree mm -hmm. with that um but uh, the opening of this film, I think, is also noteworthy. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, so she starts out, and she's reading these sort of mystery novels on the airplane. Um, and she's offered a cigarette, uh, which we learn in a few minutes has been laced with marijuana. Um, mm -hmm. And she smokes it. Uh, Mario Bava clearly does not know what marijuana does um, or what marijuana cigarettes do. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later, too. Um, she go, but that sort of puts you on edge uh, immediately as we see that guy get arrested, um, and she tries to get rid of the cigarettes but can't do so. Um, right. Her aunt then gets, uh, she goes to see her aunt. She meets a doctor, but then that same night her aunt gets sick and then dies. Uh, mm -hmm. Then she goes outside. She's in the sort of famous plaza, but it's like the middle of the night, um, and she uh, she gets mugged. She, yeah, she gets mugged. Uh, she gets mugged. <laughs> She wake up, wakes up, and then she says, a woman get murdered. And then she gets rained on. I guess that one's not quite so big. And then, and then she passes out. Yeah, yeah. And then, bizarrely, she's starting to wake up in the morning, and someone chooses to serve her, like, pour alcohol on her breath uh, before the cop finally discovers her, and she's checked into um, a hospital. Um, right, and, and, it, and it also looks like the person was, like, searching her. So I almost felt like someone was just trying to mug her again, and they're like, oh, and they accidentally... I mean, at the moment, when I was watching it, I was just like, okay, this is the un unluckiest woman in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it starts. I mean, it's, it's like the first 15 minutes of the film is just like terrible thing after terrible thing happening. Um, so has there been a more anti-tourist film between this and Hostel uh, for Europe? This is more realistic. I feel like this is the kind of... This one, I feel like if you're if you're in any touristic place, someone will snatch your purse at some moment. Like this could be New York, Barcelona, uh, it could be Buenos Aires or Beijing. Someone might snatch your purse at some moment. <laughs> yeah, um, the rest of the film is actually kind of nice to Rome, uh, other than you know the murders going on. But <laughs> it 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 uh, it has that sort of outsider perspective, and and uh, she gets kind of a pretty a rude awakening to when she comes to I, Italy for the first time. I mean, it shows that the police is really good in Rome, though. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, and later on, she tells her mother that murders don't happen here. Um, uh, yeah, what do you think of the opening? Uh, did you? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, beyond, you know, this poor woman having a horrible, horrible day, meets a, meets, meets a nice guy, he gets arrested, woman dies. I don't even know what that woman was, but she dies. I don't know. I, I, it, it, I thought it was 
Funny, one thing I do, I, and I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to go to the next part, which is uh, her waking up at the hospital. Uh-huh. Uh, one thing I thought it was interesting was, you know, like how dismissive everyone was of her. Right. And like how they were telling her, oh, you need to stop reading those things. And I was always curious, and I was kind of curious because, I mean, like we're talking about the 60s. So bringing feminism as a topic here, would they have done that to a man? I mean, like, because they were treating her as a as a, a historical person, you know, like they were like, right. "You're crazy! Like you, you didn't see anything. It's impossible. You were drunk, and you should not be reading mystery books. Period. A person like you should not be reading mystery books." And they were all men, of course, except for the nuns. Right, right. I mean, the people of most authority were were men too. No, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's a real point. I think uh, one of my topics for this film was definitely um, talking about the gender balance and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Giallo, unlike Polizio Teschi, do not always have males as the main protagonists of the film. Uh, this mm-hmm. one is notably led by a female. female. Um, and uh, I mean, this predates what, in my opinion, is like the ultimate gaslighting movie, um, which is uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um right. But uh, I think those elements are definitely there, um, especially when we have a lot of female protagonists in this film, as well as a number of other uh, jolly. Do you, uh, do, do you think, uh, but do you think the director intended to sort of make a comment, commentary on that? Or do you think it just was reflective of the era only? Um, because, I think... To me, mm-hmm, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, because uh, to, to me, it felt, it felt like... Uh, it felt like on purpose that he was basically trying to show all authority figures, especially towards this woman, like just really shitty and you know, like very dismissive because of the person who was making all these claims. Right. I think you're right. Um, I, I think he's definitely making somewhat of a statement. I don't know how much of it was like I'm going to make this sort of societal statement on mm-hmm. on this on belief women. I kind of am skeptical that he came in with such a like. Um, I don't know. He came in with like a really clear idea of what he wanted to do there, but I think that theme is there, and I think it is intentional. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a. Which is um, interesting because you know of the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so that takes us pretty well, nicely into sort of um, talking about sort of the gender balance uh, of these films. I think the Polizioteschi genre in general can be like a super macho genre. Um, mm-hmm. so the spaghetti westerns as well tend to be very, very um, male dominant, maybe even just as much as Polizioteschi's. Um, Giallo's a lot less so. And um, one of the ways that uh, some Giallo scholars will categorize them is by M Giallo's and F Giallo's, which are M is just male led Giallo's and F mm-hmm. is female led ones, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, what was. Uh, yeah, did you have thoughts on um, sort of how gender was portrayed in this film other than um, other than just kind of what we talked about? I mean, the, going on the other side, uh, I, I do think that the director still portrayed women, like the, the main character. Though she's smart in, and clever in many areas, she is very womanly. You know, like she screams a lot. She gets scared of nonsense. Like, nothing happens and she screams. Or she's like, oh, do you remember this face? I don't know, I don't know. And then she starts crying. Uh, so, I mean, the, the portrayal of a female character, not amazing, 
but I mean, still, it's still a, a, a huge improvement from uh, the Politsetskis. Um, well, I, I would say that her portrayal. She's still pretty... the smartest, the smartest character. Exactly. You know? Like she's not. She's not uh, like the male characters aren't exactly like solving much either. Uh, <laughs> no, the male characters don't care. Like she's, uh, or, or I mean, at first they don't believe her, but once they believe her, they're like, ah, oh, shit. Okay. You know, like there's only one guy who's helping her out, and he seems kind of smart, but then he gets killed. Yeah, well, there's also her doctor friend, Marcello. Yeah, no, Marcello was an idiot, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. And the police, uh, the, I mean, everyone else is an idiot except for the killer. Yeah. Who's and, a woman? Uh, the, and the journalist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the killer is a woman in this case, too, which uh-huh. I think is also uh, notable um, in the sense that we actually have a villain that's a woman. In spoiler alert. <laughs> well, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. So. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's one thing that I immediately noticed uh, just uh, consuming um, sort of content based off of this genre is that the, there's a lot more of a balance in, in the gender of uh, the fans mm. of, of this film, too. There's a lot of women that uh, love Jello films, too. Although, th- technically, there's only, two, there's only two female characters and everyone else is a man. And there's, but there's but also not that many characters. Yeah, actually, it's pretty balanced. It's two on two. And this passes the Petschel test, whatever yeah, it's it called. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and this is a film that's, like, almost 60 years old, too. So, I mean... Oh, like, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I, I feel like it is um, probably at least a little bit ahead of its time in terms of uh, of the portrayal. I mean, oh, one, I, 100% ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, um, what, so, what do you think of the performances? Letitia Roman uh, uh, plays the lead, uh, Nora, and John Saxon plays Marcello. Did you, did you have any thoughts on either of those uh, leads? I mean, once once getting used to the uh, the dubbing, I mean they were pretty good. She uh, she sometimes overacted, or you know, again, like I don't know if it was the direction, but I mean, there were moments where she would just go hysterical for uh, no reason, and it, it was just unclear from the performance of why she was freaking out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there was there were. Those were some moments, but again, that could be the writing, the directing, could be the actress. Uh, I mean, I mean, my probably the favorite, my favorite performance was from the killer. Uh, she was very good. Like, uh, basically, how how manic she is between going from happy and friendly, especially at the end, you know, happy, friendly, angry, sad. She's crying while laughing and. And, and I mean, like, she, she definitely is a scary character. She's the, someone who literally, you, you don't know what she's going to do. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, she, she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but she's good in, like, the 10, 15 minutes that we do see of her, um, mm-hmm. where she has a strong presence. And, uh, I mean... Yeah, I, I agree that she's good. Um, I think Letitia Roman is also quite good as it. Um, I think it's a good role for her. Um, so she's. Mm-hmm. Sto- I think she does a good job um, overall. I, most of these Italian films, I don't necessarily watch them for the super strong um, Oscar-winning performances. But I think she's uh, she's 
definitely better than average as far as like a lead goes. Um, what about John Saxon? John Saxon, who we saw in uh, Violent Naples, um, and I mean, who's in just tons of different films, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, all kinds of uh, American and uh, Italian films. What did you think of him? I mean, he was fine. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he was fine. Uh, I mean, it was funny how I, I how they both and both of those two characters interacted. I mean, they did a good job actually as leads because he clearly is, doesn't really care about the mystery. He's just kind of in love with her, and she's all all about the mystery and really doesn't care about him. Yeah, and I, I, I do love how she keeps on hitting his broken hand. <laughs> yeah, it's a good gag. I mean, I feel like uh, this film. I feel like the comedy, oddly enough, works all right for a film this old. Um, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, uh, okay. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's most of uh, what I have to say. Anything else you wanted to highlight about this film? Um, the ending. Yes, okay, let's talk about the ending. Uh, so are you talking about the ending from when she finally gets into the room? Or, or the ending where, uh, where like, uh, some, uh... The priest... dumb ending. The dumb part of the ending. So, the ending ending. Okay. So, so, so... Again, this is a spoiler uh, sh- uh, podcast, but if you haven't seen this movie and you're still listening, I'm going to have to explain it a little bit. After all the mystery, she... Tons, like, people, people are dying. She has... Uh, she comes home, she realizes that, uh, she, she comes to the killer's house where she's been staying the entire movie or most of the movie. She realizes, oh no, this is actually the killer's house. She thinks the killer is, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, the husband. Right. She, well, she thinks it's a husband, uh, but it, instead she was wrong. And the killer is, what, what's the killer? Uh, what's, uh, L- Laura Craven Tarani. Yeah, let's say Laura. So she, you know, she she finds a husband. The husband has been stabbed. Laura's husband, and then she realizes, oh, it's Laura, because the husband like tells her run, and then Laura, and then you got a really good scene where Laura sort of monologues a little bit, but also is very friendly, and, friendly and manic, and you know, a very high tense scene. The husband, with his last breath, kills her, and then. It fades. All right. What would you have next? Maybe a little bit of closure. No, you, you ha- the next thing is a scene, middle of the day, beautiful view of Rome. And then it's the guy super happy saying, yes, let's get married, the, uh, the, the, um, the doctor. And she's like, all right, sure. But I'm still like, traumatized from what happened before and he's like yeah but let's just think about our marriage and she's like all right hey do you want a cigarette and then she remembers that she has weed cigarettes and then she's like oh shit was this all being me being high and then throws the the entire cart like you know down some cliff where under like some person from like a music band looks at it and grabs it and then the movie ends there that last part, I mean, it made me laugh. I'm not going to say it did not make me laugh out loud. But it completely cut and undid all the tension and all the 
all the climax you had in the previous scene, it just completely undid it. And also, it ends with the whole concept of like, well, did everything that happened, was everything real? Or, or was this the director's uh, thought of how marijuana works? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mario Bava, even if he clearly does not know how marijuana works. <laughs> oh, and, and he's against drugs in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a theme I mean, it, from the I, next movie you have it too it's it's very unintentionally funny in that sense um yeah um i agree with you about like the actual suspenseful conclusion i think that's really well done i'm almost sorry i didn't mention it i, I feel like you get a lot of that nighttime cinematography and, and it's very suspenseful in sort of a mm. hitchcock sort of way so i'm a fan but yeah it sounds like you have stronger feelings on the literal ending of it um Personally, I find it to be a little silly and ridiculous. Um, I can't say it bothers me that much. <laughs> I, I also find it kind of funny. Um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, I mean, clearly Mario Baba thinks marijuana cigarettes uh, impact you in a very different way. Uh, <laughs> so if you were a, a fictional character in Mario Baba universe, would you like to smoke one of the cigarettes of his mind? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> she passes... She Because... It's unclear, but I think she probably passed out uh, at the beginning when, you know, her mother, or not her mother, the lady she's visiting dies. And then she gets mugged and then she passes out for no reason. And I think she passed out because of the, because of the weed. Oh, that's, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Uh, because, especially because uh, they're showing her point of view and everything is wavy. You know, they, they yep, use uh, yep. like filters and effects for that. And at first I was like, did she hit her head? And I think, you know, the whole weed cigarette explains it, but it explains it poorly. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess I choose to believe that, uh, that uh, to take the more literal thing that she was not imagining all of this stuff. Um, oh, and, yeah, no. Yeah, and the weed not. cigarettes definitely weren't the thing. Uh, but <laughs> it's funny that... They, that could even be floated as a plausible explanation. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it's a 1960s weed cigarette, so it's going to be weak as shit, too, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I mean, that that stuff wouldn't, wouldn't, work, uh, wouldn't work that well. What, was it just uh, weed that the guy was trafficking, or was it more, uh, something else? I swear it was marijuana, but... I'm trying to think what actually indicated that. Uh, um, I mean, she she said that she was like, "Oh, it's it's a marijuana cigarette." Oh, but, okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. know. I have no reason to question that. Uh, Mario Baba, I don't think knows how drugs work anyway. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we let's just pretend it's marijuana. It's funny how well, one thing that I, I mean also caught my attention, and I mean this is silly, of course, but uh, not not silly because of the movie, but because of the times. It was the beginning again. She's offered a cigarette in an airplane, <laughs> and I'm just like watching this. You know, 2020. I cannot even fucking fly anymore. But but let's say if you're flying, there's no fucking way you would have a cigarette in an airplane, <laughs> let alone someone lighting that cigarette for you. And then add to that that it was a weed cigarette, and no one <laughs> noticed. <laughs> Well, I can say I want to take some of those flights again. I want to take a 1963 flight somewhere. Uh, have a have a weed, weed cigarette as you're going to Rome. 
Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, okay, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, no, I think, uh, I mean, this is a fun movie. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. say this. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, last two questions are who won the movie and your rating? Cin- I mean, whoever was the cinematographer probably won the movie. Okay, so Mary Baba. Uh, Mary Baba. Yeah. And then I'm like either between a high six, low seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. For me, uh, I would also give this movie to Mario Baba. Uh, for me, this is between probably a seven and an eight. I think it's a solid, enjoyable. It's pretty lighthearted uh, film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a film that I don't mind watching um, again, but probably not one that I'll revisit at least in a few years. Um, so, mm-hmm. perfectly enjoyable. Um, pretty lighthearted. Um, I like the runtime that it's so short too, so um, it makes yeah. it a little easier to take down. Okay, so let's move on to uh, Blood and Black Lace. All right, so I am resetting my timer. All right, here we go. Um, So Blood and Black Lace, 1964. Uh, Here is our synopsis. Um, A masked man with a metal claw glove stalks models at a couple's fashion salon in Rome. Good description? Yeah. All right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, the perception, uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Um, it was, this is actually quite a low budget film at the time, um, cost Mm. around a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, even though I don't think it looks low budget at all. No, Um, it does not. It was, um, dismissed at the time, um, as being kind of middling. Uh, and, uh, it is actually an extremely influential film, but not really on the films that immediately followed it. Um, it really kind of, um, I think, probably faded from the pub- public view at the time. And then uh, I think with Argento um, directing The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 1970, it then became, sort of took on uh, a second life. And today I think it's probably considered the ultimate um, jello from the 1960s uh, before their heyday in the 70s. And I think it's, 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 it's a film that you can really see um, the admiration of and um, a lot of contemporary filmmakers um, even today. What, what I find interesting about this movie, personally, was um, mm-hmm. if you cut if you cut out the the moment where not when the when the killer was first uncovered, which you get a split second of his face, but like at the end when you know you have uh, the full uncovering of the killer. One thing I find interesting about that is that. From there on, it feels like once again like a crime movie, mm-hmm. and I think I think if I'm understanding correctly, that's sort of the giallo. You have sort of the horror, the killing, but you also have the crime element to it, and there's an explanation of it. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting is that had you cut that part off mm-hmm. and made it not give a reason of why there were the, the killings were happening. This would have been one hundred percent a slasher from the eight, like Halloween. Mm-hmm. You got the you got your mask killer, that's killing in gruesome ways, he's killing one by one. No one knows who he uh, who he or she is, but it's it's a mask killer, right? Um, you think that uh, and like, he just keeps on killing and killing and and. 
it it was interesting. Because, yeah, when I was watching this, I was just like, "This is Jason. This is uh, you know uh, Mike Myers." And then you get the part where the plot is thrown in, <laughs> not yeah. the plot, but you know what I'm saying the explanation. So, is it me, or could this be the first almost archi- like the first archetype of your one person slasher? Well, I think you'd probably have to give that to uh, Psycho or Peeping Tom, which are still a couple years before this film. Right, uh, right. But, but I'm talking about the, the... Is Peeping Tom a mask killer? I'm talking about like the Psycho oh, mask true, killer. Oh, true, true. Um, yeah, no, neither of those are masks. So, I, yeah. No, I mean, I think in many ways, I think you're right. Uh, this film is way ahead of its time as far as uh, that goes. Uh, I mean... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're getting right into one of my uh, big talking points. Like, some people consider this to be um, just sort of the first body count film. Um, Psycho, I think only two or three people died. Girl Who Knew Too Much, only three people died. This film, um, it sort of has it, so people are dying every 20 minutes or so. Um, mm-hmm. And six six women and uh, one man uh, die in this film. Um, so, right. And the film only runs 90 minutes, so it's uh, the killings are pretty frequent uh and 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 the details and the killing uh on the killings and you know there's create creativity on how he kills too right and that 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 is another element of you know uh, of the slashers yeah exactly yeah i mean it's an important element and i think that's something uh i mean it's it's I, i think it's very clear that mario baba focuses on like the form and and the, a lot of the technical details, perhaps more so than characters. I think that's more clear in this film than the girl who knew too much. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it really. Um, so would you call this film uh, a slasher in a way? Uh, you see, this is where where if if we, if we cut the reasoning of why the killings are happening. So mm-hmm. basically, because a slasher to me is it's either done by a serial killer or someone who is completely out of their mind. So, you know, you, you, you got your, your chainsaw massacre, your Texas chainsaw massacre. That technically is a slasher, although it's a family slasher, but whatever, it's a slasher. Um, but like they're, you know, they're all fucking crazy. Like they're out of their minds. They're killing because they're just fucking crazy. That makes sense. It's horrifying, but, but it's horrifying because it's something, something you cannot reason. You got, you know, your Halloween and your Friday the 13th and also Black Friday, Black Friday, sorry, Black, uh, Black Christmas and the killer. <laughs> it, yeah. The, we're, we're recording, uh, in November. So yeah, yeah. I actually didn't even think twice about that until you pointed it out. I was like, yeah, Black <laughs> Friday. Uh, I was thinking yeah. about the same movie. Anyways, go ahead. But yeah, you got like yeah, you got those three movies, and then the killer. Again, you don't know. It's uh, either in the first two, it's almost like a supernatural being, not not at first, but it's basically a crazy person. Uh, and then in in Black Christmas, it's also a crazy per- person. So again, these right. are entities you cannot reason with. Yeah. Here, the killers are actually doing it for money. Yeah, they it's more of kill. a traditional detective novel, and that's the part where this feels more like Agatha Christie or or Edgar Wallace or someone like that. Right, but so, yeah, but what I find interesting is that 
whether or, and and actually sorry one last thing is you had mentioned how psycho some people consider the first slasher as well as uh, peeping tom i have not seen peeping tom so i'm not going to talk about that one and psycho sure yeah that actually probably does fall within the category of slasher and again the dude is crazy cannot reason yeah. with him mm-hmm. um psycho i have some issues with calling it a slasher because you go to the place where you get slashed uh-huh. he doesn't go to you <laughs> but 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 scr- scratching that part that that situation sure a slasher here you got the elements of your classic single person masked man slasher mm-hmm. which is a genre a subgenre of it, of of its of its right i mean it feels a step closer doesn't it too i mean snyko is also black and white so aesthetically it, it feels a little different as well right exactly this one this one feels a step closer this one feels uh it i mean again like it almost feels like we're watching halloween and if the movie had cut you know 20 minutes earlier yeah this would be fully 100% a slasher um but right. i mean so i mean if we're calling psycho slasher i would call this one a slasher we're not calling psycho a slasher then yeah i mean i i feel like this and psycho both have sort of that like prototype of slasher thing where it's like the genre just hasn't quite been defined yet so mm-hmm. i don't know whether you consider it a slasher or not i mean it's clear it has a lot of the elements but maybe uh it doesn't fit it quite the mold quite perfectly so mm-hmm. i don't know i mean I, I guess i agree with you mainly to me it's also like it's it's an interesting question to ponder. I don't know if there's a right answer to this or or a wrong one. Um, I mean, this even has the final girl, technically. Uh, kind of, yeah, kind of in a way, yeah. Uh, well, she's not innocent, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, yeah. Let's get into it. I mean, that that's one of the big things to talk about the, about this film for sure. But I think probably the one thing that um, everyone is going to talk about for Blood and Black Lace um, that everyone remembers is the visual look to this film. Um, this mm. is actually a low-budget film, and I think it kind of shows you how Mario Bava is like a technical like savant. Um, he could not afford a dolly for this shoot, which is amazing considering how many moving shots there are. So he used a kid's red wagon and mounted a camera on it um, to do all of those moving shots. Uh, And the colors are crazy. Um, On a scale of... Sorry sorry to interject, but actually that perhaps makes it even more closer to to the look and feel of the the genre that later came, came to be the slasher. Because, I mean, especially when, when you think about Slasher, you think of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And Halloween was one of the first movies that decided not to use dollies. And they were using something different. But uh, basically a lot more... Uh, I mean, if you look at the technical aspects, they, they, they use a lot of different mechanisms, like homemade mechanisms. And sometimes and others that were really expensive to try to get that handheld feeling with those giant fucking cameras of the time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, And this one kind of has that too. Yeah, kind of. I feel like this film does it super elegantly and super Uh well, though. Um, 
but I, I feel like if we're to trace the lineage of this, uh, I'm not sure if Carpenter saw this film uh, before he did Halloween, but he almost certainly saw um, Argento's films that were inspired by this film mm. and have a lot of those similar elements, which we'll be watching um, pretty soon, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think it's uh, I think the the lineage is there, um, as as we've said. Um, so uh, on scale of zero to ten, uh, how much how excited do you think Mario Bava was uh, to be filming on color? There's a lot. There's a heavy use of color for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'm assuming a ten. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd say so. Uh, yeah, were there any moments that particularly stuck out for you, uh, visually or, or color color wise? I really like the mannequins. Mm -hmm. Those red mannequins, they were yeah. kind of eerie. The credit scene is re really memorable for a 1960s film, isn't that it? That too, yeah. The, the yeah. opening? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, there's a lot of those mannequins you're just talking about in there. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, even with like... Uh, the I mean the credit scene I I personally love too I mean it's just got like this sort of like jazzy score playing um, and all all that stuff going on too um, so uh, yeah I mean one thing that's interesting about this film is like it is sort of a body count film where we have a number of these people die um, uh, but there's actually not a ton of blood on it it's not like a terribly gory film. Uh, but there is a lot of red in it too, um, and it's almost like the reds are kind of suggestive of the uh, of the violence that's on screen. And I don't know if they—I mean, it's, this is 1964, so it's probably too early to show um, a ton of gore. Um, but I, th mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Did you have any thoughts on um, so the use of red? Uh, like I always remember the red telephones and uh, the red mannequins and and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I I, I can see that. I mean. Yeah, the the movie suggests more way more violence than what it shows. Um, yeah, that might be might have been because of a, uh, of the times. It could also have been. Yeah, it could have been. It's probably because of because of the times that the the time that it was made, uh, or the the years that that it was made. Yeah. Um. Also, I don't know if we said uh, <laughs> to backtrack a little bit. Uh, what did you think of this movie? Did you like this film? I did, I did. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I This was one of those where, uh, it, in part, I wanted to know who was the killer. Uh, this is clearly one of those, like, who's doing it. And uh, I also enjoyed the how, because it was closer to Slasher, it, almost, it was almost scary. Um, the... And and also I don't know it. I I enjoyed it. I I thought it was really well done. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Uh, well, since we're talking about sort of the body count aspects and some of the kills, were there any um, favorite kills uh, for you? I I think the most memorable is the one with the uh, the three spikes on the on that armor's uh, right hand or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh. That's probably the most memorable. I mean, the most horrifying one might be that one, or might be the the other one, the the woman the, who was is tortured with uh, with the fires, the burning. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. I mean, the antique shop one for me is the ultimate kill. Um, mm -hmm. Like the use of pink 
how the lights are flickering and it's really drawn out too even like the exteriors of there where you sort of like see those green lights flashing uh, yeah and there's like objects in the foreground and the light just blinking and the killer moves for me yeah. that kill is just about perfect it's like um it's just like really drawn out in like a very suspenseful way um super stylish like it still looks amazing um and uh i think it's executed uh really wonderfully by the way were you faked out by the uh i think it was a cleaning lady were you faked out by the cleaning lady in the scene after yeah 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 yeah. uh a little bit i mean she kind of they they're definitely playing with you there where she's like dressed all in black and you see that um speaking of that i do think the film does actually um a pretty good job with its red herrings too it's like mm-hmm. a lot of the characters uh, like this is not really an f giallo or m giallo it's definitely more of like an ensemble i don't know if there's any clear lead in this film mm-hmm. um uh but uh they do a good job of just sort of having all of the different characters be kind of sketchy and shady in different ways um so uh in like the cleaning lady they have like these sort of things where they're they just toss out these like quick visual red herrings um at you mm-hmm. uh did you have any thoughts on on some of those things no definitely i mean if it, it always kept you wondering especially the clean lady because when when they first introduced her like introduce you to her it, it looks like a, a figure wearing dark clothing looking for something and uh, you think oh shit the killer got there already and then turns around as this cleaning lady who actually could still have been the killer like I, I wasn't sure if she... I thought she could could have been the killer until they showed the killer's face. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, it was possible. It was possible. I mean, any of the characters really would have been possible here. I think another area where this film is way ahead of its time um, is the plot twist where there's uh, two killers. And the film mm-hmm. I always think of when you think of two killers um, is like Scream. Uh, right. So 90s slasher. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you uh, What did you think of um, that? Did, did, did was it, the it, explanation of the killer satisfying to you? I mean, the explanation was dumb, but uh, <laughs> it was reasonable but dumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's way more satisfying than the explanation uh, of Scream. But again, Scream is a slasher, so the explanation doesn't matter. They they were just mm-hmm. two crazy dudes, like literally, like that. That was it. Uh, this one, the explanation is more reasonable it's just dumb uh, but it did remind me of scream uh, and i'm glad you mentioned it because it, it even had a little bit of the comedy of scream as hmm. in like to me it, it sort of play, play the, the, again with the uh, the cleaning lady you know playing around with her and what she's wearing uh all this like very colorful characters i mean all the men in this movie are like silly and um, i mean it, except for the actual killer they, they all are sort of i don't know they, they're just caricatures and uh, actually even the killer they're all caricatures and so just like scream where the ens- ensemble is also a bunch of caricatures and you don't know who the killer is but you know that it's one of those characters that just one of these fun- funny looking people you know that mm-hmm. that's probably a killer yeah I mean, we almost have like the usual suspects lineup where you just get all the male characters lined up, and uh-huh. and, and then the, like who is who's the killer of these? So for you, got, you get you get some guy with his epileptic epileptic seizure in the middle uh-huh. of it. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Okay. So so, 
Would you say that the ending, when they actually reveal the killers, is that like kind of a letdown for you, or does it mainly work? It works. I, I think it works, especially because given that I ha- uh, that you know you and I probably have seen tons of uh, slashers, mm-hmm. you sort of like, like they're repetitive. Uh, it's nice to be refreshed by a movie from 1964 or 96. <laughs> yeah, 1964. It's, it's nice to be like, oh, this is a re- refreshing turn of event. It's uh-huh. not a psychopath. It's this couple who are just assholes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one's a bigger asshole than the other one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think another uh, scene I wanted to bring up too, um, and I think this kind of goes along with what we're talking about on these like homemade dollies with like the red wagon um, and sort of tracking shots, um, are the are the modeling shows. I think those are also um, I think that the the way the camera moves in those, which tends to be like a little bit longer takes, and and they're sort of moving from like sort of staging area to or dressing area to dressing area, and mm-hmm. showing all the women um, in the fashion house sort of getting ready for the show. Um, I think they're pretty inspired shots too. Um, we also get to see like some mannequins in those shots. Um, did you and have I any? Love, sh- th- yeah, no, I, I love that, and I love the how uh, the the camera would sort of follow where the book is, the um, diary. Mm-hmm. Like it's in the purse, and then it would just have like a, a every single shot later. Like you know, you you when 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 it's at a different dressing room the camera would still try to be looking at the per- like pointing at the purse one way or another so you always had sort of a view of the purse um, yeah until until the purse purse disappears and then you have the music cue which is yeah i, I mean actually so a little bit related but unrelated at the same time i enjoy i enjoyed the music because it still had a little bit of that um uh, that uh, universal monster movie music mixed with modern music. Uh-huh. Like the opening with the rain, the focus on the sign as you got the lightning and the sign breaking, uh, or, you know, breaking and this orchestra around it. I enjoyed that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it does have some of those cues that feel a little bit older from The Girl Who Knew Too Much, but the sort of like really jazzy soundtrack i feel like feels a lot more um like 1960s uh than like the soundtrack from the girl who knew too much so oh, yeah, it sounds sure it sounds like you like the soundtrack in general uh-huh yeah yeah i also liked it um for, for me it's not my favorite i know this is like a lot of people's favorite soundtrack of jello films i tend to like the 1970s scores like just a little bit better but i i think it's it's a really good score especially for the era mm-hmm. um um Okay, uh, so one of the sort of, uh, okay, first of all, question. Did you watch the uh, Italian or English speaking version? I ended up doing English. Okay, I'm guessing that was the default. That was the only option. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, What did you think of the acting and the dubbing um, uh, for that version? I thought it was good. Um, I I thought it was slightly better. I mean, let's see. I thought it was good at moments. There were moments where it was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was speaking in English, or most people were speaking in English, I noticed, in the recording. Like mm-hmm. There were scenes where clearly the words were in English. They were not saying pronto, 
yeah. you're not answering the phone or things like that. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I thought it was. I thought I thought they paid a, a lot of attention to make sure that their lips matched. So mm-hmm. that, that's good. Yeah. What, I, I, what do you I, think? I think you're right. I think it was filmed in English. Um, uh, uh, did you find any of it very stilted or or kind of wooden? Some characters, I, I don't, uh, but actually, no, most of them were pretty uh, fluid. Or, okay, all right. Uh, I know that's one of the criticisms of the film. Um, for me, uh, the first time I watched this film, I watched the English language version. Uh, this time I watched the Italian one. I do like it a little better in Italian. I do find some of the dubbing to be a little flat um, for the characters, and part of that is maybe just kind of the, the dialogue. So by going to Italian, which is a language that I have a harder time criticizing the actors, um, I, it, it kind of allowed me to uh, enjoy the visual elements a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you think of the characterizations at all? Were they too thin? Uh, or anything like that, or did you find them uh, sufficient uh, for this film? I mean, I guess if you're comparing this film to slashers, uh, which also have uh, some pretty thin characterizations, then this film does fine. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the characters are thin. Like, yeah, no probably doubt. Probably the most the, the most memorable character is the uh, uh, the wife, or or not the wife, but the the the, 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 the female killer. I think the she's. The Countess, yeah. She's the most memorable character out of all of it. Um, besides that, everyone else is pretty flat and, I don't know, just annoying almost. Like, I mean, it, it, that actually falls within this trope, uh, the slasher trope, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, especially the male characters, I feel like, are kind of dislikable in this film. And the females tend to be... I don't know. I don't know if a ton of their personality really comes out in this film. I mean, I kept on com- confusing one of the blondes with another blonde. So yeah, there, I can't yeah. blame you. Yeah, um, and it's like for like I'm struggling to remember the names of the characters for this film. Um, whereas like the girl who knew too much, um, which has far fewer characters. I remember Nora and I remember Marcello pretty easily, even though I watched that film before I watched Blood and Black Lace. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Um, what do you think of sort of that? Uh, does the sort of slasher structure uh, work where there's like a killing every 20 minutes or so? Um, Argento, I think that's one of the big influences this film has on Argento. Um, compared to something like The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which has a much lower body count, you really don't see all that many killings. Uh, really just the two killings on screen, I believe, um, where we see the killing at the beginning and then at the end. Uh, right. Did you find that that structure uh, works pretty well, where they sort of just like have this killing every this like sort of elaborate set piece every twenty minutes to just sort of draw you back into the plot? I mean, I I think they're different. So because the girl who knew too much has like a very clear character, a very memorable character, the main character after all. Um, you don't need that many killings. You don't need that gimmick, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, I think, you know, had had that movie, had the main character in that movie been as flat as everyone here, then it would have been a very boring movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the killing here, it, I mean, I, I think the killing is more important in this movie because it is part of it. I think it's a structure. So... 
I don't know. I mean, had the other movie had more killings, you would have had to have more characters for me to care. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're very different films in that sense. Um, yeah. What about yeah. you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. It's like, I mean, The Girl Who Knew Too Much didn't have enough characters to kill. Uh, <laughs> so it's like there's like all these alphabet murders that happen like years before uh, mm-hmm. the plot even takes place. So uh, whereas this film, I, I mean, the structure of killing someone every 20 or 30 minutes, it does work. I mean, I think it's a good excuse to get sort of like these good set pieces and stuff like that. So in that sense... Um, I, right. I can get sort of on board with that sort of structure to it. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, as long as you don't treat it as like a mathematical equation, right? Like, basically, to, to each movie, to, to each movie to its own, right? Like, if you're having 20 kills in a movie, I mean, you could have like, I mean, sorry, uh, killing every 20 minutes, but like, if you really don't care about anyone, then what's the value of the movie? Right, right. And I mean, does this film toe the line on that for you a little bit? On like, do you care about any of the characters? I mean, I didn't care that much about the characters, to be honest. But uh, I did want to know who the killer was. It, it's, it established uh, a mystery that is... Okay. The, the way it plays with the de- detectives. The line, I mean, actually with the lineup, the detectives, the fact that everyone was locked up and killing... Uh, kept on happening all of that I think made it so I wanted to know more what would happen okay um, so the who done it aspects work pretty well for you rather than right. like the sympathizing with characters yeah right. I agree with that yeah uh, I mean uh, I, I guess in the girl who knew too much it works on a little deeper level where you for me personally I do care about the characters and the girl who mm-hmm. knew too much and I think the who done it also works uh, for that film as well um, right I mean, uh, I, I, I think plot-wise, to be 100% frank, uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much is just significantly superior to <laughs> yeah to Blood and Black Lace. Right. I mean, the thing you're going to remember about Blood and Black Lace is the style and the form of it rather than like mm-hmm. the actual plot. Um, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, one other thing that you touched on at the beginning was sort of the killer's costume, which is basically kind of like a white stocking or sock pulled over the head what's it 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 also feels kind of ahead of its time in a way it sort of reminds me a little bit of like a watchman type uh uh, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah what did you like uh did you like the uh the costume design i mean yeah it was it was a really cool costume actually Uh, you you hit hit straight in the nail i mean i was going to mention that yeah it looks like rorschach minus the rorschach symbol but uh uh, I mean, it was a it was a cool killer. the The design was cool. Um, you know, simple, straightforward. I think it was like a white sock. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how the person saw with that. Because there were yeah, no holes that was one of my unanswerable questions. Is like, should they have been like a scene where they're like walking into trees? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the actor could see? I have no idea. I feel like I would have a hard time seeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you're trying to kill someone like that, you might actually kill the wrong person. You're like, oh, shit. That that may have been a, just as plausible of an explanation. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
another unanswerable question is uh, there's a great scene where um, one of the girls takes uh, goes back to her apartment after like all the men get locked up and then she gets there um, and it's a great apartment um, sort of like this more um, very European castle like uh, it's apartment. a villa yeah villa uh, and uh, she finds that there is a body in her trunk Mm-hmm. Why in the world uh, did she move the body into her uh, apartment? So I, I think, I, I mean, okay, let's let's the start Daniel, with this. Nathaniel's whispering let, into my left ear, and he's let, making let, me let's, ask. Let's, let's start with this. I don't know. This is an answer that will will never. Uh, th- this is a question that will never be answered. However, I have theories because I, I was thinking about that too. I'm like, why? Why did she do that? And I, and I think it's because everyone had something on anyone and everyone else, perhaps. And I think uh, probably, the, I think Peggy is the one who is in the trunk, the dead body. And the other girl who sees her is like, shit, if they see me with this body, they're going to think I'm the killer. Someone have to, I, I have to hide the body. I think that's like the only reasonable explanation that you could have okay so lack of faith in the italian criminal justice system i mean after all the movie, italian movies we've watched would you have any faith in the italian criminal justice yeah. system i mean somewhere out there uh, amanda knox is nodding along <laughs> oh man yeah that's a, a u-dub spirit right there Go yeah i know <laughs> there you go um yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I buy it. I buy it. I'm not someone that needs a super great explanation for why. I mean, I think it leads to a great sequence. Uh, yes. Like so, some of the the camera work in that film, and it's a great apartment. So I'm all in favor of getting to show that uh, more. Also, she's really strong. Uh huh. Uh-huh. She, she. I mean, she was hauling that entire body. That's true. I mean, I, 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 there are moments where I think it was a mannequin, but yeah. But if it wasn't a mannequin, she alone could have probably killed, a, like, defend herself from the killer because she literally carried a whole body pretty quickly and swiftly from the trunk up some stairs into that little corner where she hid it. I mean, that takes some strength. Have you ever carried, like, a, a dead, dead weight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And she's not exactly, like... I mean, maybe she's quite strong, I don't know, but she doesn't look super muscular or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had one other thing to add on that, um, but I am uh, drawing a blank, actually. Um, Okay, Uh, anything else to add? Any other scenes you wanted to highlight? Um... No, I think you've hi- you have highlighted like uh, we have you and I have highlighted the main scenes in general. Um, it is, I mean, I, again, I, I actually I really appreciate watching this and imagining that this might be might have been the uh, the birth of many genres. Yeah, beyond I mean- just giallo. It's pretty easy to see the influence in how ahead of the time it is, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I just recalled what I was going to say. Uh, one of the criticisms of Argento films in particular um, it, by like other Italian writers is that the plots don't often add up all the way or make sense. But, but this uh, is not an Argento movie. No, exactly. Um, for But that's also a criticism that could be extended to other Giallo. For this film, does the plot make sense? No. No? I mean, it, it does, but it's weak. It's a very weak, weak plot, you know? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you, uh, but I think if we get more into the Giallos, I think you're going to find a lot of fairly weak explanations in the same way that slashers often have pretty i mean it's like usually the explanations are pretty simple right i, I mean so what's funny is that this is almost as, as a slasher as 34 in the explanation because there is an explanation and the explanation is reasonable enough that it's not coming from a crazy person so in that sense yes but the fact that it's like all right so they killed Isabella because she was blackmailing them. And then because someone else found the diary, they killed the person who found the diary. Yeah. And then, but that person didn't have the diary, so they had to kill the person, the other person who had the diary. And on the way to not be, uh, and then all the men get arrested so they had to kill another person, the, 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 man's, uh, the, the countess had to kill another person so the real killer wouldn't be framed. Like, I mean, they all make sense. They're all logical. They're all reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're dumb as hell, but they're all reasonable. Like, this is not a crazy person's... Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I think it makes path, sense. But, but, but they make sense, yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, it's like a pretty bad reason to kill someone, but I mean, it makes sense. Um, one other thing I wanted to say as far as like the making sense part of it goes is like even the killings uh, make sense. So the ones committed by um, uh, shoot uh, the the name of like the the lead uh, Massimo or Max. Um, Max. Yeah. Those are much more brutal than the ones uh, committed by the Countess. Where the Countess, um, the one that where she goes into the girl's apartment, she kind of just like smothers her with a pillow. And mm -hmm. whereas like Max is like freaking stabbing like medieval objects into uh, into women, um, right? And like like strangling strangling them. So there's like kind of a difference in how they kill. So even that part I do think does make sense um, in uh, the characters. Mm -hmm. And then Max uh, and Max is just a bad. Like I mean they're both bad people, but he's like extra bad. Like he yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, even with the Countess, like, he slaps her around. Uh, yeah. Although not angry. It's just like... he. I mean, like, it's bad to kill, but he seems to be more of a natural killer than, than she is, too. Like, she mm -hmm. doesn't seem to relish killing. Um, I don't know if he oh, relishes she... killing, but he seems to be less put off by it than she She, she hates it. Yeah. And he kind of uh, manipulates her into killing um, again. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think the Countess is a much more sympathetic character as far as the, the double villains go. Which is All why right. I, almost, I almost put her as uh, the final girl. <laughs> you know, I guess in a way uh, you could say that uh, if the final girl was also one of the uh, killers of the film. Um, okay, so um, last uh, question, uh, or last two questions. Who won the movie and rating? 
the color palette won the movie. Okay. Which then, color? Uh, probably red. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what What do you think? Yeah, red. Red's great. Uh, there's some also really memorable moments with like green and pink. Um, <laughs> thinking of like the antique shop, um, which is. Yeah. Oh, the antique shop is yeah. That's a beautiful. I mean, it's just like one of the best. It, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, okay, so rating. Oh, rating. Uh, probably similar to the other one. Uh, uh, high six, low seven. No, oh, that's that's lower than I expected. Um, or maybe a solid seven. I'll put it at solid seven. Okay. What do you knock it on? Just sort of the dramatic aspects of it, or. Yeah, and and I mean like the. After you highlighted the thinness of uh, the characters and plot elements, okay, I was like, you know, I was like, oh yeah, th- th- this is pretty thin. Yeah, I mean, okay, well, I-, I guess I inadvertently caused you to give it a lower score. I mean, I think it is thinner on those elements. For me, it doesn't necessarily detract from the film. Uh, it does take me, um, I, I can say I did enjoy watching the Italian version um, a little bit more because I find that a little less distracting. For me, mm-hmm. this is somewhere between an 8 or a 9. Um, I do like this film. I do find that sort of like Suspiria, I need to be prepared to really like focus in and pay attention and enjoy those aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's not a film that I like will enjoy purely for the plot. Um, it's a lot of the visuals that really are like what makes this film, um, really quite special. Um, mm. um, yeah, so yeah, that makes that's it. Uh, any last words, uh, for this dual bill for, uh, Mario Baba? I mean, I actually recommend, I definitely, if you're a horror fan, I do recommend watching Blood, uh, Blood and Black Lace just because I think there's something in there. Uh, as for the director, he definitely does not like uh, drugs. So his first movie, there's a heavy focus on, or not a heavy focus, but there was a little little focus on, on weed. On this one, there was a little focus on cocaine. Uh, <laughs> when cocaine is first mentioned, it's like, we found cocaine in, in blah, blah, blah. There were even trumpets like, like <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, cocaine. So, you know, uh, and like everyone, and like the cops would be like, you look like you are someone who does cocaine. And the person always looks like disheveled or something. So <laughs> do you, I, do I think you, at least cocaine makes more sense. Do you think someone like saw the girl who knew too much and it was like, hey, Mario, marijuana doesn't do what you think it does. Switch the drug to cocaine. And do you think marijuana was originally in the script? So he switched it to cocaine to be more realistic. Maybe. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's a product of his, of their time. Like I'm pretty sure all the, uh, all these artists and directors probably did do weed and did do cocaine, but there's no fucking way they were going to represent it, uh, truthfully on, on the media. Oh, there's no way Mario Baba did either of those drugs. Just oh, he from... didn't? No, I mean, there's zero chance. Uh, Dude, I mean, I not, mean, not at this point. Uh, I mean, like. He would have a much better understanding of, of what they do uh, if if he actually did them. I I mean, the, I've seen the way I've seen, like you know, like the, I mean, I've never done cocaine, but uh, <laughs> but the way I've, I've seen certain stuff that I have done portrayed on TV or movies, you're like, oh, there's 
oh man, they got that so wrong. They got that so wrong. And then, and then you learn about the director, and it's like, oh, that person was a junkie. And you're like, <laughs> you know, like, or the actors were junkies, or you know. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that 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 they do know what it is, but there there's the there's also like, I mean, this is film, like. You, you, okay. gotta, you, you gotta play but, onto our archetypes. But this is not the seventies or the eighties. If this is the seventies or the eighties, I might agree with you. But Mario Bava, I mean, who was like a fifty-year-old man when he made these films, I think he was. Uh, I think he was a bit naive on the drug usage. Maybe that's the line I mean, I'm going with. Weed was legal in that at that time. Let's not forget that. In the seventies and eighties is when weed was illegal. I mean, re- re- when this is this is post reefer madness. For sure, because uh, I think Reefer Madness is from the uh, uh, like at the end of the fifties. But I mean, that's literally how the medium would play this type of drugs. Like the the, the media, like film industry, would play would portray these drugs that way, and uh, that was the visual language. Right. Like, well, <laughs> this is a very deep cut for for the conclusion of the episode. <laughs> um, well. You might be right. I, I don't know if we agree 100% on, <laughs> on the marijuana aspects and the cocaine aspects of this. Um, Although, have you seen Refer Madness? I haven't, actually. Okay, you need to watch it. Okay. It's like, literally, the, 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 the monster is marijuana. <laughs> Sounds highly entertaining, actually. Sounds like a it good is. stoner film, actually. I, actually, it is a stoner film. Yeah. Today, like stoners watch it all the time. Yeah, ironically. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, you can send us an email at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet us, us at zafilmtofilm. Uh, any last words, Inyaki, that are not uh, drug, drug related? Don't forget to, you know, like if you can't like it or, you know, give a thumbs up, upvote, whatever. It's whatever your player does. And, you know, Share with your friends. Tell them, hey, there's this amazing podcast that talks about Politsuteskis. And yeah, that's it. <laughs>